Welcome to Prods, Books, and Booze. This is your host, Jeannie. And Monica. Woo, 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 woo. Hello, friends. We are back with a new special late edition. It's later in the evening for us. With one of our favorite books of all time for both Monica and I. So it is The Fellowship of the Ring. Yay. <laughs> and, you know, it's so funny, like... Jamie and I were having a hard time. We hadn't read any of the same books, and I wasn't in a real reading mood, so I didn't have anything kind of going on. Um, I, well, no, I was actually in the Lord of the Rings rabbit hole re yes, reading yes. them. That was the problem. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm still in the similarity. <laughs> yeah. So we decided, well, why don't we just talk about it? So yeah. that's what we're going to do. So, yes. The Fellowship of the Ring is the first book in the series, so we're starting with book one. I have um, I have friends that read it every year. I am one of them. Yeah, Monica is one of them, <laughs> yes. And it's always um, interesting for me to reread it and remember as much as I do and go, huh, I, I remember a lot more than I thought I did. <laughs> now, for me, I think one of the reasons, there are very few books that I do reread. I do have some. None that I reread as frequently as Lord of the Rings. But I I love it so much, but because I don't visualize, I don't remember. I mean, I remember it, but it's like it's new to me all over again when I read it. Oh. So I, I enjoy it every time. That's actually fun because it's mm -hmm. a great story. Yes. So Monica found some wonderful questions from lovers. And the first question is, I am, in fact, a hobbit in all but size, wrote Tolkien to a correspondent in 1958. I like gardens, trees, unmerchandised farmlands. I smoke a pipe. I like a good plain food, unrefrigerated. I like even dare to wear these dull days, ornamental waistcoats. I'm fond of mushrooms out of a field, and I have a very simple sense of humor, which even my appreciative critics find tiresome. I go to bed late and I get up late when possible. Do not travel much. How would you describe these Hobbit ways of life and behavior? How are they different from us and how are they similar? <laughs> well, I think the older I get, the more Hobbit-like I become. <laughs> and it it is a wonderful way to live. It just is, I think, something that would be nice if we could all get back to just simplify. I think that's the enchantment of it is the simplicity. And it's it it is it's very magical in its own way. I I love hobbit holes. I love the idea of them. Like I I hate the sun. I hate the sun. <laughs> and so the idea of living in a house with no windows, I was like, oh, that's actually kind of appealing. <laughs> My cousin was living above his garage with no windows for like a year and a half. And he said it was horrible. He never knew what time of day it was. I'm like, well, if you were a hobbit, you wouldn't care what time of day it was. You could like get up whenever you want, go to bed whenever you want. It doesn't matter. It's fall now. I was leaving the gym. And people were like, oh, it's already getting dark out. And I was like, I love fall. Yay. <laughs> yes. All of those things are good. And and all the food. Oh, my gosh. You get so to eat eating. so many times a day. I mean, how could you go wrong with that? I, I could. I, uh, yeah. 
I can eat when I'm not hungry. You're like, oh, would you like a bite? I'm like, sure, I'll have something to eat. <laughs> I would be the biggest hobbit ever. <laughs> like, waist size, anyway. <clears throat> so, question two. I have, I suppose, wrote Tolkien in 1958, constructed my imaginary time, but kept my feet on my own Mother Earth for place. Um, sorry, my jar just went off. Yeah. <laughs> ha 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 ha. Middle Earth is a modernization or alteration of an old word for the inhabited world of men. How has Tolkien created a sense of an actual world without seemingly real landmarks in a credible imaginary history? Well, Middle Earth is like a real place to me. <laughs> it's what makes the story so intriguing and like the huge back history and the history of the people, the characters and the history of the story. So it's like they're remembering a war that happened long, long ago. So there's like a long, long ago story that we sort of get little snippets of and we learn about. And he creates this huge world with all these different people. And it's like the ancient history that they still talk about in song and story. And and he even goes so far as to write the creation story. I mean, it is such an... It, that wor The world of Middle-earth, I would say it's possible to know almost as much about as our own world. And what's really cool about it is that there are still mysteries... It's not, it's not all, you can still, just like our history, how we forget things, you know, it's incomplete or there's little hints, um, at more to know, but you never really know what happened. And so I think that's what makes it so realistic. Yes. So much fun. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, before we we go on. Do you want to talk about our drinks tonight? Yes, I picked up a local wine. It's called 12 Corners Vineyard Beach Cottage Vacation White. And I stuck it in the freezer because I wanted it really nice and cold. And it's really good. It's um local here in Michigan from the lakeshore. And it's really light and kind of crisp and not too sweet. Little sweet, but not it's too a little sweet. sweet. But it's not overly sweet. It is. Right. It's very. It's very good. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend. Two thumbs up. Yeah. So, question number three: How is it significant that Gollum had been a hobbit before acquiring the ring? To what degree can the ring's power be used for good or evil, depending on the moral character of its bearer? Well, Jamie and I had Jamie had to teach me a little something about this because. I thought that Gollum was a hobbit-like creature. This is why I need to reread the books every year because I miss little details like that. He was a hobbit-like creature because he was like a hobbit ancestor, like of the, the Tooks, I believe, by the river. I don't know. He I think actually so. yeah. was technically a hobbit. A hobbit. So, a hobbit before the hobbits came. Yes. It's like the pre-hobbit hobbit. So I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and like the moral character. I mean, I always, I often thought about that. Um, you know, that Frodo must have been a special kind of person to have been able to carry it for so long. Well, and I think it was significant that Gollum had it. 
because I don't think Bilbo would have ever had it, gotten it from Gollum if they hadn't been so similar. That's true too because they he had memories of the riddles, the like the riddle game and kind of a shared type of history. So I think they were able to um communicate maybe better than if it was some other kind of creature that came down there. Mm -hmm. I would agree. I think Gollum and like I'm out of here, head for the hills kind of thing, where yeah. he's sort of like, oh, I I get you. Let's have a discussion. And I think it was kind of cool at how, you know, Gollum was so quickly corrupted by the power of the ring. Yeah, he wasn't a very good person. Right, right. <laughs> where Bilbo had it for so long, and then, you know, it's sort of like the dark forces are unleashing, and the power's, like, ramping up, like, woo! let's start this party up <laughs> so it was a lot more challenging for Frodo to have it but he was such a solid moral character that he was able to sort of like okay I'm I'm not gonna put it on I'm not gonna use it yeah I'm just gonna go on my super long walk <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of walking you know Matt and I joke a lot whenever we go hiking and I start whining and I'm like I never would have made it to Mordor <laughs> He's like, no. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. <laughs> that, that is pretty funny. <laughs> so Gandalf tells Frodo, but you have been chosen and you must therefore use such strength and heart and wits as you have. Page 60. How are Frodo, Sam, and the others called upon to use their strength and heart and wits? Hmm. That's a tough question because, um, you know, it, I guess because there was no real plan and because they lost Gandalf so early. Well, kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's like towards the end of book one, Gandalf is gone and it, and oh, they're devastated. Yeah. And then Frodo's like, oh, they need to go on. I can't take these people with me. They're needed somewhere else. They're just going to die. I don't want to be responsible for them. So he, you know, he goes off and he's hiding with the ring on and he's taking the boat down. And Sam's like, oh, hell no, Mr. Frodo. You're not leaving Sam behind. Your buddy has you. I know what you're doing. I know you. I guess, yeah, I guess that does, Sam was definitely very keyed in to what was needed of him. He he was so in tune to Frodo's emotions and thought process that he knew what he was going to decide before he decided it. Yeah. Which is kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think I have... I don't have that sort of intuition to know what people are going to decide beforehand. Yeah, I think I do have that a little bit. I can anticipate a lot what people are going to do, especially in my own house. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not necessarily always good. It's kind of like being hypervigilant, you know? <laughs> you can read the feelings in the room. Definitely. Ah, so here's our next question. How would you explain Sam Ganji's determination to stay with Frodo no matter what? What qualities, talents, and shortcomings does Sam reveal as the journey continues, and how is he changed by his experiences? 
he's so sweet and cute at the beginning of the story. Oh, Mr. Frodo, I just want to see some elves. I can relate, Sam. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> but yeah, he definitely takes on every challenge and is very brave. Yeah. I can't think of a single shortcoming. You know, honestly. Yeah. Uh, he was probably my favorite character the first time I read the book in middle school. Yeah. I liked him the most because he was so level-headed and faithful and such a good friend. And he was, you know, like a solid character. Definitely the kind of person you want to have on your side to help you through hard time. Mm-hmm. So definitely no faults from my eyes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can hear my kids screaming. I am so sorry. I, I don't like, I have my podcast I'm going to record. You need to be quiet. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you say it every time. Blah, 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 blah. And then he's like super loud. I'm like, dude. <laughs> My gosh. Well, you Teenage know. Teenage voice. Out of sight, out of mind, right? I'm pretty much invisible most of the time anyway. Oh. Okay, so. <clears throat> Question seven. How do the Black Rider methods of sensing their surrounding link them with the evil and the dark and make them particularly terrifying? What do you think Strider means when he, speaking of the Dark Riders, he tells the Hobbits, you fear them, but you do not fear them enough yet. Page 162. Now they sense their surroundings kind of by sniffing, don't they? Yeah. Like they, they don't really seem to see that well, but they have like a hyper sense of smell and like almost sort of like bats where they can have like a vague outline of shapes. And it does sort of link them to like the underworld or not of this world and and because they're you know of the shadows they're scary and frightening they're the fallen kings yes and so they're yeah they're really super creepy yes the nine uh kings of men that had the rings of power and it corrupted them and then they became the wraiths yes i was um was having a philosophical discussion with some of my coworkers about the implementers of our new system at work. And they're like, implementer, de dementor, it rhymes, it goes along, they suck out all the joy from your life. And I was like, I go there, they serve the one, they're more like ring race to me. <laughs> I'm, like, they're, I'm like, they were men, but now they're not, they're just these evil things, they come here and they make your life horrible and they're just terrifying. And I'm like, I go, I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm team, team Ringwrath, so. Yeah. That's hilarious and also very sad. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I don't know what Strider means by when he says, you fear them, but you don't fear them enough yet, and is it because he knows that they're growing in power as the evil grows, and... Or they just don't realize how bad it will be if they get them. You know, and I forget looking at this as just the first part, right. you know, of just the fellowship. Yeah, they're still fairly innocent at this point. And as hobbits have not experienced anything 
any kind of evil like this. They haven't heard any of the dark rumors that are going on. They haven't seen any of the people disappearing. They're, yeah. He's out in the wilds, like, trying to protect what little bit of civilization is on that part of the country. And the hobbits are off in their little... Oh, well, and keeping the Shire land. sheltered also. Yeah. 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 So they're completely withdrawn from any hostilities that have been going on. And Strider's been out there. He sees what's been happening. And he can see what's coming. Yeah. And he knows how horrible it would be if the ring is taken. Yeah, I don't know... You know, I feel kind of hobbit-like in that way where I haven't really ever been exposed to anything that sinister or evil, um, anything close to it. I mean, obviously, in in reality, not that I think ring rights are going to come get me at my house, but, <laughs> you know, I do feel like it, that kind of evil is unknowable until you experience it. And I And I don't know... Maybe, I don't know, maybe Tolkien kind of could, I know that he was in the war and maybe experienced some evil things and had, you know. Well, he started writing the stories before the war started. So he started on it. I was doing some research because I'm a nerd. He started in 1937, 38, and he had a good portion of the written before the war started ah and then he continued to write it throughout the war and he didn't really want it to be impacted by the war too much um i know it's often said that it is not an allegory in any way right so it was like yeah so and then he didn't finish it until like 46 i think Mm -hmm. so i mean like he was yeah he was in the war and he was still writing but he was like I have this whole world in my head. And I can imagine that would help him deal with all those terrors. But, like, right, I've never been a victim of a violent crime. So I can't specify how I react. Like, I think I know, but you don't really have an idea until you've been a victim of a violent crime. And that's sort of what these dark riders are. They're going to mess you up. And they're going to take away everything that you want and love and it's it's yeah. not something you can see until you're there. Right, and not something that hobbits would have ever had to face. No, no. Yeah. Okay, I forgot where I'm at. Uh, eight, I believe. Aha! Aha! Okay. So, question nine. And then he breaks the thing to find out what it is that has been left the path of wisdom. Is that what it, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm sorry. The wine's starting to get to me. <laughs> Gandalf proclaims to Sauron. How does this idea manifest itself throughout the Lord of the Rings? Uh, well, and then he breaks a thing to find out what it has left. Wait, and then he breaks a thing to find out what it has left the path of wisdom. I'm not really too sure. Yeah. We're going to skip that question. I think it's talking about how Sauron's mostly, he destroys everything for the sake of destroying it, basically. But that was a very awkwardly phrased question. Yeah. 
Saruman advises Gandalf that their best choice would be to join with the new power that is rising, so to direct its course to control it. <laughs> to what extent is the main theme of Lord of the Rings the uses, abuses, and consequences of power? Mm. I'm like, well, it, that is like the main theme, so it's pretty much like throughout the whole story, the uses and abuses of power. And I think many, many a good enough person has told themselves many lies about doing terrible things with good intentions. <laughs> you know, which is basically what happened. It's so hard to, um, you know, the elves had their untainted rings of power. And, you know, that must not have been an easy thing. Just... You know, to to use, to have and to use power for the good of the world and other people. I think power has a tendency to, well, corrupt as the saying goes. <laughs> it, it needs to be balanced somehow. It, it can't just be held by one person. It needs accountability. It needs more than one hand in the pot to control to control it because you will think oh i have the best intentions i'm going to be supreme leader of the world and everything will be great and then you're like oh i can't stand those two people off of their heads right <laughs> and they're like those were people they had a family that was somebody's sister or daughter or mother or whatever and you're like whatever i don't care and i also like how you know, power, the most powerful characters in the story end up being, you know, the weakest and overthrown. And the real power is in these little, um, these little interactions and these small things that are so important, you know, remembering second breakfast and <laughs> having some pipe weed and, you know, all of these little things end up being and creating so much more power as a reader you can see how shallow this power of Sauron and Sauron is and how unimportant that it is so I think he does a really good job of showing what's really important in life what really is powerful to us as human beings Okay, so do you want to you wanna ask the next question? Yes. So, huh. Elrond tells the company, the road must be trod, but it will be very hard, and neither strength nor wisdom will carry us far upon it. This quest may be attempted by the weak as much as the strong, yet such is oft the course of deeds that move the wheels of the world. Small hands do them because they must, while the eyes of the great are elsewhere. How do Elrond's comments apply to the quest? So it's being attempted by the weak, which we can think of as the hobbits. Yeah. Because right? they're, they're this tiny little race that nobody's ever heard of. Sauron doesn't even know they exist at the beginning. He's like, what? Where? Where's my ring? What the hell is a hobbit? Like, find them. 
bring bring it to me, you know. And that's their power is their secrecy, their ability to go unnoticed. They're not a threat. You know, you could have sent an army with the ring to Mordor and it would have been stopped in an instant. Right. Yeah. So I think that was part of Gandalf's wisdom was to keep it small like that. And I believe, so, and I'm going to butcher the name. Look, I can pronounce Elvish names, any kind of Greek gods i could pronounce them all in my head when i read but <laughs> same when i say it out loud and i'm not a tolkien scholar although i aspire to be one day but i believe it was glorfindel who was a very very powerful elf old old elf like old like gladriel who was at the council of elrond and was going to go with the fellowship. He's this big badass warrior. Like he has like fought Balrogs, I'm pretty sure. So he is like really, really strong. But it's decided that if he goes with them, he's gonna call too much attention to them. Right. So I think that's a, the whole part of the plan is just to be kind of Low unnoticed. Key. It's like, yeah, it's like, one does yeah. not just walk into Mordor. But that's what they did. They right. did just sort of walk into Mordor. But they couldn't have done it unless they were so bound as they were by friendship, I think. And by duty and honor. They were, they had all the right characteristics. <laughs> yeah. and they My were, heart is swelling. And they were just sort of like... So small and sneaky and just sort of like crawling through the side cracks. Yeah. yeah. I love Frodo and Sam. Me they, too. I do love Mary and Pippin though. And oh my gosh. they are hilarious and they make me laugh so much. And so like, yeah, we should probably do a podcast on both too. All right, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> so number 12. Why does Gandalf say that it would be well to trust rather in friendship than in great wisdom in deciding who should accompany Frodo is in what way might friendship be more powerful than great wisdom? And I think we kind of answered that a little bit. And I think we answered that especially when we talked about Sam, but Merry and Pippin also, who weren't willing to leave their friends behind through throughout it all. Right, they're... They're not going to be the wisest, like, I know what's the best choice for everyone, but they totally have Frodo's back. And they have a good sense of down-to-earth, common sense, right and wrong. They're very earthy. (laughs) And they they have that sense of moral obligation and that sense of duty, and they're like, we know what needs to be done, and it sucks. Yeah. So we're going to be there with you. And how would you characterize the conflict between Aragorn and Boromir? In what way is that conflict important to our understanding of Aragorn and the purpose of the quest? I loved that part. I loved how Aragorn and Boromir, like how he loved him still as a brother and didn't, didn't talk about what he did. To anybody. 
to dishonor his memory because he knew it wasn't him that tried to take the ring. Right, right. And he knew, and I think Aragorn knew, because from the beginning, he questioned, because... Like, what what happened? What, right, what did he say? Will I be like Isildur? Will I, would I try to keep the ring if it were up to me? Mm-hmm. What kind of a person am I? Yeah, did you like Boromir? I have mixed feelings about Boromir. I like Boromir, but... I liked Boromir. I liked um, how him and his brother were so close. That yeah. made me like Boromir more. It did make me like him more. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought he was kind of like, eh, he was alright. But yeah. it wasn't like my favorite. Yeah. Um, And I think, let's see, I think that's it on the fellowship questions. But I feel like one thing that it left out completely was the best part of the fellowship wasn't Tom Bombadil in the oh fellowship? My God. How are we not talking about I, Tom Bombadil? I was gonna just question <coughs> that myself. This is what makes me the most angry about the movie was that is my favorite part of yes. the whole first book, and he is not mentioned once. There's not a single thing about him. He is like the best. I love him so much. I do too. <laughs> and I think the so with Tom Bombadil being this. I mean, he's like Crazy, a forest. fun, nature-loving guru. Sings, but he's also this om- omniscient and all-knowing protector. and Of his lands. Yeah. yeah. He was amazing. Uh, he goes up to the tree and he's like, open up! <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of discussion about what actually is Tom Bombadil. And there's this um, YouTube video, I can't take credit for this theory, there's this YouTube video called Nerd Ring. And it talks about um, what is Tom Bombadil. And somebody had written this whole theory, and if you look up the video on Nerd the Ring, you can find out who because I don't remember. But um, one of my very favorite theory is, so when Middle-earth was being sung into creation, right, by mm-hmm. all the, the Arda, um, there was the song and then there was discord. So the theory is that Tom Bombadil is the personification of the song of creation. And then the discord would be Ungoliant, which was this huge spider that was like, you know, yeah. And I thought that was like such a really cool theory because Tom Bombadil is like, what is this thing? You know, Mm -hmm. he's just a, he's one of those mysteries of Middle Earth that makes it so fascinating. Yeah. He's so strong. He's so fast. He's like super friendly. He knows everything that's going on and the ring has no power over him right that was the coolest thing and he's like oh what is this and and during the council of elrond gandalf's like yeah tom bombadil we could give it to him but he's probably just gonna lose it and we're just gonna postpone this whole thing (laughs) (laughs) because he doesn't care about such things you know Uh uh-huh yeah and he was like i see what you're doing over there frodo and he's like what what what? <laughs> <laughs> My tricks don't work here. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. All in all, I think that The Fellowship of the Ring is what made me love fantasy books. Oh. 
I mean, I can't get enough of them. <laughs> There's just enough magic in it, but the magic isn't... Isn't know, the whole story. Right. It's not even... It's not even the point of the story. It's the relationships, and they're just starting to build in this first part of the book, and I loved it. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And we will we will be posting another podcast for October soon. Yes. So we are already working on next month's podcast. So woohoo. Yeah, we were delayed this month due to vacation and whatnots. Ah. <laughs> so, thanks for listening. Bye.